Welcome to episode 57 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey, and with me on this beautiful Sunday afternoon is our producer, Aurora. Hello. And just looking over our stats, and we're well over 60,000 downloads total for Lime Ninja Radio. That's pretty cool. awesome. Right. And we're almost at 1,500 likes on Facebook. So if you haven't liked us, head on over to Facebook, look up Lime Ninja Radio, and click the like button because I like big round numbers like 1,500. Yeah. It's it's totally ego-driven. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Today we have a special guest, Val Opata. She's the second part of our Pilates episodes. We had... uh, Jenny Batacchio last week with us, and she talked about how she used Pilates to help recover from Lyme. Now, Val isn't an expert in Lyme disease, but she's an expert in Pilates, and she really dips into the history of Pilates and how Pilates can be adapted for people of all types of ability, strength, age, health, sickness, wellness, so forth and so on. It's really the first type of physical therapy that was out there. It's really quite a genius of a system. But before we get into that, we want to update you with Logan McCulloch and his Trek for Truth. Hi, McKay. It's Logan from the Trek for Truth, and uh, I'm calling in with my weekly update. It is uh, Saturday, September 19th, and I'm in Eli, Nevada. I've been in Nevada for a couple of days now and headed West to Eureka today, about uh, 77, 78 miles. And in about three days, I'll be to the California border near Fallen, Nevada on US 50, sometimes called the loneliest highway in America. It uh, is beautiful country. It's brutally hard riding, but uh, the beauty makes up for it. Today, we have four major climbs. I'm riding with a couple of friends from France that we just met at Camp Brown a couple of days ago, Lorraine and Bruno, and it's been wonderful having some company out on the on the plains. Um, so two weeks from today, we will reach the Pacific Ocean in Pacifica, California, and uh, I'll be posting on my Facebook page and on the website the location so anybody in and around the San Francisco area could come out to Pacifica just south of San Francisco and join us at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Saturday, October 3rd, and uh, we'll be we'll be dipping our toes and wheels into the Pacific. <clears throat> so it's hard to believe that uh, I'm almost done, but uh, to tell you the truth, I'm a little bit ready to be done. <laughs> I'm tired and I'm ready to go home, but this has been an amazing adventure and uh, and obviously for an important cause in getting the, the facts and the truth out about, you know, what could be easily called our modern-day plague, Lyme disease, and all the associated infections that go along with it. And hopefully our uh, people in positions of responsibility and accountability will wake up to that and start taking the appropriate actions um, commensurate to the level of this epidemic. Thanks so much for following along with me, McKay, and uh, look forward to tuning in next week and then our final one on October the 3rd. All right, thanks so much. Bye. 
You know, Logan sounds really tired in that clip, and I think he's earned every bit of extra <laughs> rest he's going to get. Yeah, definitely. He's worked really, really hard. It's a great expression and a way to bring Lyme disease awareness to the country and all the little towns he stops in along the way, yeah. and to inspire us, too, to keep on going. If Logan can do it, we can do it. We can totally do it. So if you're in the San Francisco area, anywhere around there on October the 3rd, please see if you can't clear your calendar. Go and greet Logan, thank him, and make that really a really cool event and watch him dip his toes in the Pacific, in the Pacific. Ocean. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Valerie Lapata. Okay. Val Lapata began training for the Pilates method of body conditioning in 1998. In 2001, she received her certification and opened her studio, BodyWise Pure Pilates. She has continued her Pilates education and most recently was one of the five certified Pilates instructors to be chosen to work under Alicia Ungaro of Real Pilates New York City in 2013. Valerie brings with her 17 years of experience working with clients young and old, from professional dancers and athletes to those new to fitness programs. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Val Lapata. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Summer's flying by. It's kind of scaring me, actually. I know. I just was having this conversation with someone earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dad. Sad to see it go, even though it's not really going yet. But Yeah, I know. There's still quite a bit of time left. But there's a funny poem that we came across, kind of the opposite. Um, and it's about the man who spends the summer and the fall making his wood pile, cutting, chopping wood for his wood stove all for the wintertime. And while he's doing that work, he's thinking about all the things he's going to do. Um during the winter time, while he's burning that wood, and yeah. the, the poem basically goes, you know, the wood the wood pile's almost gone, and I haven't barely gotten to anything that I wanted to do. Uh huh. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Although we have gotten a lot in this summer, though it's been it's been nice. That's great. But we always want more, you know. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids now? Um, well, my little guy is going to be 14 in a couple weeks. Um, so he's starting eighth grade and then Emilio will be 19, um, in October and he is, um, going back for a second year at RIT. Oh, that's right. He went, that's right. That's fabulous. That's amazing. Yeah. There's no way you're that old, by the way. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, your girls are all out, right? I mean, they're all on the other side of college, right? Yeah, 25 and 23. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, there it is. It just it happens when you're not looking. Yeah, for sure. So, I want to talk to you about Pilates, and the context is Lyme disease. And I know you're not an expert on Lyme disease at all all and that's okay and let me explain a little bit and explaining to you the other people who are listening in on this uh we'll kind of get an idea what i was interested to so i pay attention i have a google alert and anything about lyme disease kind of comes down across my computer and i scan it and i saw something by somebody who teaches Pilates, and I went back and interviewed her, and that's going to be part of this month-long exercise series. And she talked about how she used Pilates to help her heal. 
from Lyme right. disease and, and get strong afterwards. And No, you sent that to me, right? I, I think I did send it oh, to you, yeah. See, I'm, giving, I'm giving myself credit. It's all, it's, this is all because okay. of you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. So, so you did interview her? I did interview her. And what I thought would be really interesting, too, is we, we talked really, because people with Lyme disease, they all have their Lyme story, and they're all variations on a theme, and they're all captivating. So we never really got into Pilates itself. So I think it would be fascinating just to help people understand a little bit about Pilates. Because when I put this article on Facebook, it, it exploded. The post got shared and commented on more than almost anything else I've ever put up. So there's a huh. huge, yeah, exactly, there's a huge interest out there in Pilates. And so let's let's help educate people about it. So that's that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds good. I, you know, I've poked around just a little bit, um, you know, <clears throat> in preparation for today, um, you know, just to see what's out there on Google between Pilates and Lyme. And it did seem that there were quite a few different posts just by different people, you know, who have had experience kind of getting their body back, um, strength, building their strength back and whatnot through Pilates. So I thought that was interesting myself. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so why don't, let's start right with who was Joseph Pilates? What did he do? So forth. It's like, what, 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 who is this man? And what makes Pilates difference than say, oh, I don't know, yoga or I don't know, just calisthenics. Okay. So Joseph Pilates was, um, a German man. <clears throat> he was born in the late 1800s. And, you know, the story goes that he was um, a pretty sickly child. He had severe asthma um, and, I believe, rickets. Um, so his parents apparently were very into nature and natural healing. And I believe, um, you know, one of them owned a gym of some type. Um, <clears throat> and... So he was very interested from an early age on, you know, trying to move his body and, you know, create different sort of stretches and positions in his body that felt good and try to building, you know, trying to build up muscle. Um, apparently he would kind of hide out in the woods as a young child with a sketchbook and he would watch animals and how they took care of their young and he would sketch that out and then try to recreate that in his own body. Um as he grew, you know, his musculature began to develop beautifully and he was asked to join a circus um, to be sort of like a strong man. No um, kidding. Yeah, yeah. So um, he traveled with the circus and, and we, the historians think that that is where he came in contact with yoga. Um, okay. So this would be somewhere in the early 1900s. Um, you know, yoga hadn't come to the United States yet. Um, and he was traveling throughout Europe. When World War One broke out, he became interned in um, the Isle of Man, and he basically took it upon himself to, you know, exercise and, and rehabilitate a lot of the people that he was, you know, stuck, you know, encamped with. Okay. So he would make people do his whole, you know, series of exercises. And even people who were bedridden, people who were in wheelchairs, he started to rearrange springs on hospital beds and 
he would make people push and pull the springs. And he had this theory that you needed to get toxins out of your body, that the best way to do that was to, you know, do these exercises That's on a regular, true. like, daily basis. So I had no so, idea that it, it really his thinking was getting toxins out of the body. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. I know. He called his work an internal shower. <laughs> really? Because so, one of the big, let's pause here for a second. One okay. of the big issues that happens with Lyme people is either they have a defect in some of their detoxification pathways uh, mm. or that their system's just overloaded. So detox is a big part of healing from Lyme disease. And okay. I had no idea. I mean, I've taken a few classes from you, but I never remember right. talking anything about detoxification. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He was really big on that. And as his, you know, session, as his sort of format evolved over the course of his lifetime, and he eventually brought it to New York, we fast forwarded a little, we'll go back, but um, he believed firmly that your workout should be 50 minutes, five zero minutes long, and that should include a shower. Because as you worked those toxins out of your body, he wanted you to wash them off yes. you know, at the end. Yep. So, so that was, you know, that was a revolutionary kind of, um, position to, to, to feel that way, you know, in these early 1900s when people really weren't even bathing on a regular basis, <laughs> you know, I That's mean, as true. Regime, yeah, but not, not as often certainly as we do today. That's right. So, That's what the washcloth was for. Right. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that um, was, you know, notable is that when the influenza epidemic went through in, I want to say it was 1918. Um, yeah, it was right around then. Yep. Right around then that none of the people that he had been, you know, making, you know, go through these daily exercises, none of them, none of the people in his camp caught the flu. No kidding. So he wasn't surprised by that, of course. He was like, well, of course, you know, this is why. Um, so anyway, when, you know, after they were released from there and, and he returned back to Germany, um, he was asked, I guess, to um, work with a German police force. And it was at that point that he decided he wanted to come to the United States. So he got on a boat, headed to New York, and um, ended up meeting a woman named Clara along the way. She became his wife, so the story goes. Um, And they landed in New York and opened up a small studio on 8th Avenue. And they mainly, he mainly trained boxers um, in the beginning. Yeah, so his, you know, here he is a man creating an exercise method mainly for men <laughs> right. um, um, to basically strengthen and, you know, detoxify their bodies. So that's where he began. But he caught the attention of a lot of sort of pioneers in different areas. So one of them was dance, and George Balanchine, you know, was one of the people that just really saw the genius in his method and wanted his dancers to take advantage of that. So when they became injured, he would send them Joseph Pilates for their, you know, rehabilitation uh, for whatever it was, Um, you know, an ankle, a knee, you know, a weak side of the body, whatever. Um, Martha Graham was another woman, you know, whose attention he caught and, you know, they go back and forth today. Martha Graham is a pioneer of modern dance, if if you're not familiar. And um, 
there's a lot of, uh, you know, controversy between her followers and his followers as to, you know, where did these particular movements come from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> where did they start exactly with him or with her? But nonetheless, what he basically built was a system of very, you know, I want to say basic or simple movements that you can do with your body on the floor. And that was what is considered today his mat work. So that was the foundation of his system. And then as he encountered different people and different um, needs, he would create different pieces of apparatus to, to serve them, whether it was to assist them, you know, to give them a little help because they couldn't quite perform the exercises that he created on the mat or to challenge them because they needed a little more, a little more resistance or, you know, a little more range. So that's how his equipment started to come along. And he, you know, designed and built a lot of his, well, all of the prototypes, obviously, for his first equipment. And then he was a little businessman, <laughs> for sure. So he, um, you know, brought those designs to metal fabricators and eventually, you know, the Pilates apparatus was born and he used it in his studio. So, but he would come in contact with, uh, there was a very famous opera singer whose name is escaping me at the moment, um, that he created a piece of equipment for called the pedipole. And it's basically a pole with a T bar across the top and two springs that hang from either side of the T. And he developed a series of exercises that are done standing with that pole right up against your spine and doing some deep breath work and different types of deep knee bends and balancing on one leg. And um, he, he worked this piece of apparatus with this particular client um, to really be able to expand her breath and, and, and work, you know, her lung capacity as, as an opera singer. So... I gotta find you know, out who, who's so it's a, it's a woman. It's, it's a female opera singer, and I do have the, her name. It's written before Maria Callas. Um, it's got to be older than that. Let's you know what? I'm not sure. I'm kind of <laughs> just doing a little Google search right here. Um. <laughs> so while while you're searching, I'm going to set yeah, up well, the the next question because I also want to take a little pause here. And, and so your connection with Pilates is dance. So my collection, connection with Pilates is a woman named Romana Krizanoska. So Romana was a young dancer who was dancing under George Balanchine, who began the New York City Ballet. So she was in New York. She had an ankle injury. Um, I think she was probably 15 or 16 at the time. And George Balanchine sent her to Joseph Pilates and said, you know, you'll, you'll rehab your ankle. Well, she got to Joseph Pilates' studio, and he put her down on the reformer, which is the main piece of apparatus that is used, and she went through this whole 50-minute session, and she said, you know, excuse me, Mr. Pilates, but it's my ankle that's injured, you know? <laughs> and he had, her, he had her, her doing, you know, all different types of movements with the body, and his response was, ah, yes, my dear, you see, but it's all connected. Um, and, and the idea was that you know, we can rehabilitate your ankle, but what good does that do when most likely the reason your ankle is injured is because of something else? So his system in general was a collection of good, you know, movement habits. 
that he wanted you to perfect and practice. There are not a lot of repetitions. There are very few repetitions, and then we change the body position. But there's all of this focus on alignment and balance in the body because, as you know, we all have weaker sides or stronger sides or habits because of this, that, or the other thing, whether it's occupational or recreational where, you know, we just, we do different things with our bodies that are unintentional, but that certainly don't help us to, you know, keep a balance and a balance of our strength. And then the other aspect that he really focused on was balancing your strength and your flexibility. So very often dancers, you know, kind of fall prey to being extremely flexible, but not having the strength that they need. So I think that's one of the reasons why they, they really excelled with his work. So where I'm trying to pull it out of you. So where oh, I'm sorry. where were you? Yeah. That's all right. Where were you dancing? And tell us a little bit about uh, your first experience with Pilates. So my first experience with Pilates was dancing in Hartford, Connecticut, in the early 1990s, um, and it was offered as a, a sort of cross training for you know us dancers. Um, so I kind of just dabbled in it a little bit, and at first I didn't like it at all. It was very, I felt like it was very restrictive compared to the dance that I was used to doing. Um, but that was just my first little, you know, touch base sort of with it. And then various places that I ended up dancing afterwards, from time to time, a director would say to me, you know, you should find Pilates. Um, it'll give you more of a connection to your center, you know, and hmm. it'll help you get, you know, the rib cage under control and, you know, different things like that. But it wasn't until I actually stopped dancing that um, I was looking sort of at different exercise methods and a way to keep in shape um, mm -hmm. when I wasn't now dancing eight hours a day. And one of the things that just kept coming up um, with different people that I spoke to and um, different things that I researched was Pilates. So I ended up driving out to Albany to get my first session, and I just fell in love with it. It just so, felt so good in my body. Well, what, yeah. uh, what felt so good, and why fall in love with it? Um, I think well, one of the things that's interesting about Pilates in terms of an exercise method is that it begins lying down. So <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty welcoming to, you know, a large population. So you begin lying down. And Joseph Pilates did that on purpose because he wanted to get gravity out of the picture for you and your typical contact with the earth. So he put you on your back and had you align your body from your center. So... With that, you start moving in a different plane than you're used to moving. And and right away, as an instructor, looking at your body, various imbalances pop right out. You know, oh, this leg is stronger. Maybe this leg is longer. Or look at the shift in the torso. You know, one shoulder pops forward or whatever. So there are different things that the instructor then can cue you as time goes on and you can handle more and more cueing to you know, alert you to what's going on in your body and ways that you can connect deeper in. So, but I think in general, the the work in itself is such a system that it really, you begin, you know, with this sort of dynamic warm-up where you're, you're moving and you're flexing and you're bending and you're working the ankles and the knees and the hips and the back and the abdominals and the shoulders and all the way up. And in the the work itself sort of, you know, builds and builds throughout the session until you're feeling warm and strong and fatigued. And then it kind of, you know, 
works its way back down as you sort of cool off and you end feeling like you've had a massage hmm. as opposed to maybe if you've gone for a run and you know you feel exhilarated and you feel great, but you also feel like, Ooh, I might not want to walk down the staircase today. <laughs> you know, my, right. my, you don't feel, it feels very good and it is very good on your joint. It's very respectful of the joint and builds strength surrounding the joints versus abuses them. Um, like a lot of, you know, different exercises that I love to do, <laughs> but they don't necessarily leave me feeling, you know, as kind of wholesome, <laughs> we'll say. Yeah, that's amazing. So is it something, I mean, we're we're reading about and talking to people who are doing those with Lyme disease. Is this something that can be modified for people who just don't have the strength to do a full 50 minutes or, uh, or, or do have incredibly painful and swollen joints, but do need to move. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're, you've got really swollen knees, you can't go jogging, but right. how, how does right. Pilates work with issues like that? So one of the, the benefits with the way that Pilates is traditionally taught um, is that we work one-on-one. So an instructor and one client or possibly an instructor and two clients, but, um, you know, in that format, which is called the private session or the one-on-one session, in that format, the pace of the session is dictated by what the client can do. Mm-hmm. So we're always starting off, just as Joseph Plotties did, with where the client, wa- you know, is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the course of a day, you know, I may work with someone who is wheelchair-bound or a professional How athlete. do you get them on the floor? Oh, well, they're usually pretty adept if they're living in a wheelchair. They can get themselves in and out of their chair. That's just being nosy there. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of times we work right in the chair. You know, they'll wheel the chair right up to our spring apparatus. And, you know, we get people really connecting into their center. Because for Joseph's body, the center of your work, or what he called the powerhouse. Mm Mm-hmm is that abdominal area. Mm-hmm. We now kind of, you know, refer to it today as the core. Right. But that was something that he was really big on, you know, in the early 1900s. And every movement starts there. And, and you know, it carries you through the movement, staying connected to that center. So um, just really quickly, I wanted to circle back for a moment. So after my first Pilates session, the instructor that I worked with in Albany, which was the closest place I could find Pilates, you know, to Utica, New York, um, said, well, you know, you have to go visit Romana in New York. So at that point, this young dancer who had worked with Joseph Pilates um, throughout her whole life was now in her late 70s. I was going to say, she's not young anymore. She's not young anymore, right? She wasn't young anymore. This was in 1998. Um, And she was still teaching, um, had all of Joseph Plotty's original equipment in her studio in Manhattan. <laughs> That's so cool. And it's like a museum. Absolutely. But everything was being used. Yeah. And, you know, certainly, you know, <laughs> you could see the years <laughs> in, the, in the pieces of apparatus. But I ended up beginning a training program with her. Hmm. So it um, was a training program that consisted of three five-day workshops and then 600 hours of apprenticeship teaching under her, um, under her watchful eyes. So, wow. um, that was, it was a wonderful, wonderful education. Um, just, you know, seeing a, just a 
bunch of different body types and being able to work out of this, you know, flagship studio in New York. Um, that wasn't pretty, I have to tell you. You know, it was more of a hole in the wall, but just phenomenal hey, people coming in and out. It's and, New York. <laughs> yep, and getting and getting the work done, yeah. you know. So, so how um, long had she been teaching Pilates? Well, she started, as I said, with Joseph Pilates when she was a teenager. And she ended up really falling in love with the work. Wow. So she never ended up dancing professionally past, you know, her dealings with um, George Balanchine as a as an older student and um, a teenage student and um, eventually became Joseph Plotty's apprentice. Okay. And she is the one who was credited with really carrying on Joseph Plotty's work. There are other what are considered Pilates elders. That would be the, the first generation of people who worked with Joseph Pilates. Mm-hmm. There are others um, who have taken his work and, you know, kind of made it their own and, you know, carried on in their own um, studios. But Romana, I would say, has, has you know, the, the legacy. <laughs> the legacy. And then Romana's daughter continued to teach as well and Romana's granddaughter and uh, we lost Romana last year um, 2000 where are we oh it'll be two years now two years ago in September Um, I believe she was 83 or 84 Um, but her her daughter whose name is Shari and her daughter Daria continue to carry on his method still work out of the, the studio in New York and, and they have many other locations. And actually they, they were able to travel internationally and set up studios all over the world. So, you know, wherever you are, you can find some classical right. or traditional Pilates. Now, what about like somebody who is kind of feeling intimidated and wants to like, Google's Pilates and finds a YouTube video and just starts there. Is there, is that like a bad idea? Can you hurt yourself doing this sort of thing? Do you, I mean, obviously having a trainer right there is the optimal way of thing, but is there any way to benefit from Pilates at like a super simple level to, you know, even get yourself a little bit strong. So you feel like, you know what? I think I can call somebody in who can help me now because in the beginning I was just too embarrassed because I couldn't even, I don't know, whatever. Right. Right. Absolutely. So that's definitely an option. The thing that, excuse me, the thing that I would caution people against with that is that as many other fields, you know, you can throw anything up on YouTube and call it anything. Um, and, and you see that now quite a bit in Pilates today. So just to kind of give you a quick little history, up until the year 2000, the name Pilates and the traditional exercises were um, under a trademark. Um, and then there was a big sort of class action lawsuit that went on for a couple of years, and eventually it was determined that the term Pilates was now considered generic, oh. like dance. Yeah. You know, so at that point, anyone could do anything and call it Pilates. Before that point, it was critical that you, you know, have a, a certification and go so through a So, how do you tell the wannabes from the real deal? <laughs> it's really tough. Um, it's really tough, but um, 
I would say that there are a couple kind of keywords that you can put into your search. They're not fail-proof by any means, but they'll help you to get to the, the good stuff. Um, if you are to type in traditional Pilates or classical Pilates, or even some people refer to their work as authentic Pilates, okay. um, Pilates in general really there are kind of two camps. One is the traditional and one is what's considered contemporary. Um, and, I, and I think what's happening Which camp are you in? Traditional. I'm definitely <laughs> traditional, <laughs> classical. Yeah, as close to the source as, as you know, it can be today. So um, that's, what I, that's where I would recommend people start. But at the end of the day, whatever works on your body you know, is is the best thing for you. So what co- contemporary Pilates would be is like, for instance, a lot of um, physical therapists and body workers have oh, okay. looked at different exercises and said, yeah, these are wonderful exercises, you know, and kind of taken the, the method apart and maybe cherry-picked like this and that is good and let's add some of this that's not Pilates and some of this that's something else that are, you know, Potentially, you know, very nice exercises, but not necessarily traditional Pilates exercises. Um, and that becomes what's called contemporary Pilates, okay. um, where it's Pilates-based, but not necessarily, um, you know, the system of Pilates exercises. Right. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Does yeah, that- absolutely. That helps tremendously. Now, okay. the other thing I want to talk about, so I've started taking people's blood oxygen levels in my office. Okay. And okay. it's kind of interesting because th- I've always wanted to do this. And then finally the price of the gadget came down and I saw one in Walmart of all places and it was mm-hmm. 30 bucks. So I picked one up. So this, it's a little gadget you put on the end of your finger and it uses yep. light to measure the oxygen saturation. Like somehow it's got some equation in there that can tell by the color in your skin of how much oxygen is getting in. And what I find for a lot of people who are really struggling with their health is that their oxygen levels aren't critically low. They're not low enough so that they're huffing and puffing, but they're chronically low. So it's their, their, their habit of breathing, their style of breathing is insufficient right. to keep them fully oxygenated. And this is at complete rest. This isn't after running around. This is somebody lying on a table, totally relaxed, and you know their oxygen levels are at 94% or 93%. And it should be up around 98%. So again, right. you know, it's not something that's they're going to fall over or turn blue, but sure. their their tissues aren't fully oxygenated. It's, it's like not they don't, optimal. Yeah, it's not it's totally not optimal. So what right. what does Pilates how does it bring breath in because i know all good exercises focus on breath so what did what was his take on breathing and training really training your diaphragm to breathe right well you know breathing in pilates is one of the things that i i would say um is quite different than many other types of breathing techniques um i do trust it <laughs> joseph Pilates was a severe asthmatic and did phenomenally. He even created a breathing um, device called the breathizer, which essentially was a pinwheel <laughs> that you blew at, yeah. you blew into, taking you know, drawing a big deep breath in and really expanding the rib cage and the lungs, and then compressed using that lift in the diaphragm to push the air out. And um, 
he, you know, that that was, you know, really pretty amazing thing for 1923, you know, right. um, to have people really working the breath. But there are two things, you know, with the breath and Pilates. So one is that actual, you know, getting, taking the time and, and getting the the mind around, really filling your lungs to their capacity, you know, and then really expressing all of that air out. Right. And just with a little bit of focus and attention on that, you'll find, you know, anyone can can get a much deeper breath and, you know, fuller breath from that. But the other thing was or is about creating better alignment and support in your body so that you can fully inflate those lungs. And for many of us, our posture is so poor mm. that there just isn't space for that to happen. You know, our, our shoulders and our, our sinking down onto our rib cage, and there's no support through our abdomen. So there's just really isn't space. One of the things Joseph Pilates said that the whole reason that we condition our muscles and our connective tissues were to create space and support for our organs and joints to function better. Huh. And that makes a lot of sense space and support, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So those are the things we focus on. But the reason I say breathing in Pilates is a little different is because it's always done with your abdominals drawn in and up. So at no time do we blow the belly out to either inhale or exhale. Instead, we learn to expand the rib cage and the breath laterally through the rib cage. Huh. So we're drawing those abdominals in and inhaling and opening the rib cage to the sides and filling it out in that way. And then as we exhale, the rib cage comes back together toward the center line as the abdominals lift even more. So, so why? It takes practice. Yeah, why? It takes practice. Why? Um, you know what? That's a great question. But I think part of the reason for that was that when we work the rib cage in that way, we expand those intercostals. Mm -hmm. So we're giving the bony structure, uh, the rib cage, you know, which becomes that bony structure, the ability to expand as opposed to blowing out the belly, right. which doesn't necessarily give you that expanse through those intercostals. Huh. So have, have you trained yourself to breathe like this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and do you do yeah. it subconsciously now? Really? And it's interesting because when I, you know, am doing some other thing like cycling or running or whatever, um, I'm doing the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm still feeling those abdominals lift in and up. I really try to expand through even the back of the rib cage on those inhales. Um, and sometimes I actually count um, while I'm running or while I'm cycling, you know, to try to inhale for, let's say, five or six counts and then exhale for those same five or six long counts. And it's a, it's a good challenge for me because often when we get into those places of, you know, working really hard, all we want to do is kind of like suck and blow, suck and, and blow. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And, and so it, it, it's helpful. It's very helpful to me. Um, and then I go back, also I go back to, you know, my dance background and, you know, I think, well, you know, what other athletes do this? And I look at dancers and I think, oh, dancers definitely breathe this way without even realizing it. You know, at no time do you see a dancer really poof the belly out. No, it's not the attractive look. It's not the right line, right? It's, it's not. No, it's not the right line. <laughs> and, I, and I believe, you know, it also helps to keep that support through the back when you keep those abdominals drawn in. Interesting. And we want that support through the back. 
Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? It so is fascinating. Have, have you, I mean, you're, you're still young. You're still in great shape. Have, have you noticed anything? And you were kind of trained to do that anyway with dancing, although probably not as much expansion as you did with the Pilates. Have you noticed any change with that, like with, within your upper body and that sort of movement through, through um, the rib cage? I mean, do you, I have, you know, so many women that yeah. come in, they all have like neck stress, you know, and right. they all have upper back tension. And there's no, whenever I check them out back there, there's never any movement in that upper rib cage. I mean, it's just locked down. It's been locked down for years. Yeah, that is something. Oh, on my body, just to answer your question, on my body, I don't notice a real particular change with that. Um but I think having sort of transitioned right from dancing professionally right into Pilates, yeah. um, I think that kind of, you know, sort of kept me a little bit the same. But I have witnessed change with clients of mine, um, clients of mine who have had actually, you know, curvatures through the outside appearance of the neck or a little bit of rounding in the upper back. Um, that things have really flattened out in that area. I have one woman who said, you know, she says she used to be able to put like three fingers in the back of her neck before where her um, C7, you know, stuck out the upper upper back, lower neck. And now that's completely gone away. And she's like, my necklace even hangs lower, you know, (laughs) the realignment, you know, through that area. Um, But I would say that one of the reasons that, you know, we talk a lot about posture and your posture getting improved in Pilates and that definitely, you know, that definitely happens just from that repetitive idea of elongating that spine and really, you know, expanding both in length through the spine and then in width across the chest and the, and the shoulder blades. So that is twofold, you know, one for the posture and two for the breath. Hmm. Incredible. That's great. Well, you have been very generous with your time, Valerie. I really, really <laughs> appreciate it. And in Absolutely. closing, is if somebody want to get in touch with you, are you on Facebook? Do you have a website? I am. I'm both. I'm on Facebook and I have a website, and they both are under Bodywise Pure Pilates. So, Bodywise Pure Pilates on Facebook or BodywisePurePilates.com. And that's body, obviously, B-O-D-Y and Wise, W-I-S-E, yeah? Correct. Okay. That's right. Cool. And lastly, is there anything that I forgot to ask you (laughs) about (laughs) Pilates that you wanted to get in from your point of view? I I don't think so. I guess the only thing I would say is this. I think that... You know, the Pilates that you hear about in the media quite a bit is the real sexy Pilates, you know, this body or that celebrity or this actress. And that's really not what it's about at all. Um, you know, it's about working your body and balancing your body. So don't be intimidated to step into a Pilates studio. And if you do feel intimidated when you get there, then it's not the right studio for you. <laughs> you know, um, as Pilates instructors, we love to work with the whole range of bodies and abilities and inabilities. So that's, you know, really the, the meat of the work. So, you know, please investigate. And even if you can't come regularly, you know, one session now and then can give you a lot to focus on in your work at home. Terrific. I learned more tonight than <laughs> I was anticipating. 
I've heard you talk. Roberta Peters. Roberta Peters. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Say that again. Roberta Peters. That would be the. Uh, Oh, that's uh, the opera singer. Opera singer. Yes. Uh, Being a very minor opera fan, I go once a year, whether I want to or not, to Glimmerglass. (laughs) Okay. And this this year we saw a Vivaldi opera, and all the men sang in falsetto. It was very strange. (laughs) <laughs> I've yet to get out there to Glimmerglass, which is terrible. I'm embarrassed to admit. You gotta, you gotta go once, but pick something fun. They have some very okay. <laughs> intense stuff usually every year for the serious opera yep. buffs, aficionados, and then there's the candy opera. And my daughters went to see uh, the Magic Flute, uh, oh, which okay. is Mozart, and it's just it's funny, it's lighthearted, it's great, easy music. I recommend something much more like that. And they've also okay. they've also started doing musicals. Oh, wonderful! And so those this year they're doing Candide, which is a Leonard Bernstein musical. Oh, okay. Yeah, Very usually good. though, the, the, the every once in a while they'll bring in a dancer, but as an ex dancer, really, it's kind of like watching opera singers uh, plod along the stage, so it's not very right. graceful. It doesn't scratch your dance itch, right? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Very good. All right, Val. Thanks a lot, and I can't wait to catch up with you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Pilates is such an interesting kind of field of exercise. The story that I heard about it was that it would be used to help uh, World War One soldiers rehab while they were still um, confined to hospital beds. Yeah, yeah, it's infinitely flexible. I think that's the genius of Joseph Pilates was that he could look at somebody, do an assessment and said, this is where you need to strengthen and invent apparatus and invent exercise to make that happen. So a good Pilates instructors can meet you where they are, where you are physically and help you. So I really encourage you to look up some local Pilates instructors in the area, interview them, see what they have to say, if they can help you. Even if you haven't been out of bed for months or weeks, they can help you get stronger and getting stronger physically helps you mentally it's like if you can accomplish a little bit more physically it's a win it's a small win it can really turn the corner and help you feel better on all levels and as a reminder our next two episodes are all about healing with movement and next week we have uh, an expert in belly dancing and healing trauma with belly dancing sounds like a lot of fun yeah and then we'll end up with yoga so please stick around and check out the next few episodes on exercise and if you need more Lime Ninja in your life, visit our website, LimeNinjaRadio.com. There you can find all 56 past episodes. We archive the episodes so you can go back and listen to them again and again. There's lots of great information there. We're still working on making that information available in a better way. Hang with us. We've got a lot going on. Be patient. We will get that out there. On the website, you can also sign up for our Ninja Insider mailing list and pick up the Lime Ninja Brain Fog Protocol as our thank you. Lime Ninja Radio is also on iTunes. Stitcher. And on Facebook. Be number 1500, please. Yeah. And lastly, (laughs) this podcast would not be a podcast unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know ninjas can hear the sound of one hand clapping?
Lyme Danger Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lyme Danger Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lyme Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lyme Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.